John Feinstein joins us on Sports Byline. John, of course, a noted author. His new book is Open Inside the Ropes at Beth Page Black. And he's sold more than two million books, and he has earned the title as the most successful sports writer in America. John, when I saw this new book, and you were just re- with us recently on another book, how do you turn out so many sports books? Well, with great difficulty, Ron, I think would be the answer. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to do the punch and open uh, as close to one another as I ended up doing, because as you mentioned, the punch came out back in November. And but when I came up with the idea to do this book about the first U.S. Open ever held at a public golf course, uh, the USGA was completely cooperative in every way in terms of giving me access and everything that I needed. But they, they weren't willing to move the, the Open back a year for me <laughs> so that I have a little more time in between books. So that was my only complaint with them. And it did make things a, a little bit tough on uh, schedule-wise for a few months, but I, I think it was well worth it because I, I really enjoyed learning what I did did in the research process. Let's talk a little bit about sports authorship before we talk about this book. What makes a good sports book in your mind today? To me, you know, just just based on my own experience, Ron, it's 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 people and stories. I think if you I know you've read a number of my books and I, I think if you if you kind of cut through it, they're about people and they just happen to be people who play golf or work at golf tournaments or who play basketball or coach basketball or play baseball, whatever it might be, I've always looked for the best stories. I don't think you have to be rich and famous to have a great story to tell. I think, you know, books like A Civil War, uh, some of the success of Good Walk Spoiled had, and there are many characters uh, in open, much like in A Good Walk Spoiled, people not famous who I still think have stories to tell. I just always go around and I say, is, does that person or does this group of people have a story to tell, and if so, can I tell it? One of the things, John, that I have found in your books as a common thread is is that you tend to really tap into the common person and what most people would be interested in. Uh, I think that's hard to do in a sports book sometime if you're dealing with only one subject because you have to give the good along with the bad. Is that a challenge? Yeah, it is, uh, and there's no question about that. And, and I think that uh, people kind of trust me, Ron, that I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it that... Uh, if something bad happens to someone or someone is not a particularly good person, I'm going to report that. I always say to my subjects going in, because as you know, my books are sort of, are, are really built on access, you know, getting to places where readers can't normally get, whether it's inside Bob Knight's locker room or inside the head of professional golfers or, or uh, you know, inside the Army-Navy football rivalry, whatever it might be. I always say to people up front, if you have something to hide, don't let me in, because I'm not going to hide it for you. And they understand that going in, that I'm going to report what I see and hear. Now, they can explain to me why something occurs the way it does, and I will certainly report that. But I'm not going to hide or cover up anything for them. And I think my my subjects know that and my readers know that. And, and really, that's an important trust that you have to build up. Do you also go into writing a book without any preconceived ideas, or do you have to have a couple in order to tell the story? I, I think you'd be I'd be lying if I said I didn't, because we all have preconceived ideas about everything. You know, whether it's the taste of ice cream or uh, whether we think a, a woman is attractive or, or anything. Uh, but what you have to do is understand you have certain preconceived ideas and be prepared if the evidence shows that you were wrong to understand that you were wrong and try to figure out why you were wrong and then report 
what turns out to be the actual truth. And you know, there have been, you know, for example, uh, there have been people uh, who I thought I wasn't going to like for different reasons. I, you know, my preconception of the U.S. Golf Association uh, for many years was that it was a bunch of stuffy rich guys. Uh, who you know I didn't particularly identify with, and then David Fay, the executive director, turns out to be a guy who grew up as a caddy and learned to play golf on uh, public golf courses, and uh, uh, you know would just as soon put uh, all the caddies and players in shorts as in the long <laughs> pants that the players are, are still forced to wear. It's interesting, John. Of all the people that I know in this business, you are the one person that I would love to see write a book about the Masters because uh, I think there's a lot that has happened. Some of it is mistaken. Some of it is true and factual. I know that Lee Trevino one time told me the reason why he didn't play it for a long time was he just simply didn't like the atmosphere and feel comfortable. And it was right. Jack Nicholas who came to him and said, you should play this tournament. So I'm wondering, have you ever thought about doing something on the Masters that would be definitive? I have thought about it, Ron, and, and I'm, I guess I'm like anybody who's ever stepped through those gates that there is a fascination with the mystique. I think you used the right word there. Uh, there had, Kurt Sampson wrote a very good book about uh, the history of the Masters and Augusta National and the people who built it uh, several years ago, and I, I really believe that unless – the hard thing is you don't want to be David Owen and write a book that says Clifford Roberts isn't a racist, wasn't a racist, you know, and, and come off looking like a fool for mm -hmm. saying something like that. And yet, it, unless you, you can get a certain amount of access again, I'm not sure that I can add anything to what Kurt Sampson, for example, wrote about Augusta National. It's interesting because the Masters is certainly a reflection of societal conflict that we have today, access of equal rights to everybody. When you step back uh, from your position as a reporter and look at it both from a human standpoint, but also with that journalist hat on, John, what do you see as far as the Masters golf tournament? Well, I think you're right that in many ways it has been a reflection of society. I mean, it was segregated for many, many, many years. Uh, it, you know, it is a place where wealthy people want to be. Uh, it is a goal for many wealthy men to get to be members at Augusta. It's a goal for many people just to set foot through the gates of Augusta to see the Masters. So I think in many ways it is kind of a microcosm of, of, of society and, and reaching certain goals and things like that. But I think it is also a reflection of the fact that, you know, absolute power can corrupt absolutely. And uh, in many ways the, the people at Augusta National have had absolute power because it's their golf tournament and it's their club, and if you don't like their rules, you can go home and not come back, and they don't really care. I mean, I was amused when the New York Times raised the specter that, you know, Tiger Woods should boycott the Masters because that would really put the people at the Masters in a tough position. Well, you know exactly what would have happened if Tiger Woods had boycotted the Masters. They would have said, Tiger, enjoy the rest of your life, and we'll just go on with our tournament without you. Uh, and whether it's Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus or Arnold Palmer or anybody else, that's their attitude. And you, you saw it with the, you know, them just jettisoning their, their commercial sponsors uh, this year. So I, I think in many ways Augusta National is a reflection of, of much that is good and also much that is bad in our society. John, does the issue at the Augusta National and the Masters Golf Tournament, does it boil down simply to giving equal access to women as far as membership, or is there something more about this that we don't see, don't understand? I don't think it is more than that, Ron. I, I think it's a symbolic issue. Uh, the fact is that Augusta National uh, gives more access to women than many, many restricted clubs in this, in this country. I live two miles from Burning Tree, 
where women are not allowed on the grounds 364 days a year. One day a year, the wives of members are allowed to go into the pro shop and shop for Christmas presents for their husbands. That's it. Augusta National allows women to play all the time. They can stay there overnight. They can certainly, you know, eat in the restaurants. As a guest, I have the same access to Augusta National as my wife would. No more, no less. If a member invites me, I can go play. If a member invites my wife, she can go play. So it really is just a symbolic thing of saying, let's get a woman wearing a green jacket. And, and I think because it really is only symbolic, that's why Martha Burke's protest ultimately fell flat. That and the fact that she handled herself so poorly in the weeks leading up to Augusta, trying to somehow connote the issue of women at Augusta to what was going on in Iraq. We have uh, one minute before we have to break, but does this come down at least on uh, Augusta National's part and Hootie Johnson's part as style more than substance then, just the the digging in the heels that people have a problem with? Yeah, that's a very good point. I I think that, again, and I'm certainly not the first to say this, if Hootie had simply written a letter to Martha Burke uh, last June saying, thanks so much for your interest in our club. We are always reviewing our membership policies. I'm sure a day will come when we will have female members and we will keep you apprised. You and I wouldn't have just spent the last five <laughs> minutes talking about Augusta National. Anything going to change then, you think, over the near future? Depends on your definition of the near future. I think there would have been a woman member by, by 2005, if not sooner, had this not occurred. I would now not be surprised if it takes longer. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. John Feinstein is with us and you. He has a brand-new book out. It's called Open, Inside the Ropes at Beth Page Black. It's a fascinating book, and, of course, he has written other wonderful books about golf called A Good Walk, Spoiled, Days and Nights on the PGA Tour, and, of course, always known for his book, A Season on the Brink, a book about Bobby Knight. We continue across the country and around the world on the American.